Hi, it's Greg and Lucky. And this is our podcast. If you don't catch us from 5 to 9, this is what you missed. Before the news, I said there was a fog and a, and a panic and an anxiety rolling over the city with the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs starting their new season tonight. And that's, that's probably not really true because what you get right now is just hope and dreams and beliefs that this year the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to the Stanley Cup Finals. And when you read things, as I've been reading over the last few days, about the growth of Austin Matthews and how he could very well be the the greatest player in the, the East and how if Connor McDavid is the best in the league, then Austin Matthews very well could be number two. And, you know, his eight years in with the Leafs have culminated to this moment where he's he's at an age and a moment in his career where he could be at the peak or the best he's ever been. And so when you hear all these things, you get all these dreams and beliefs that this is when it's going to happen. And then, of course, if they happen to, say, lose tonight, Saturday, and Monday against Chicago, then that's when the anxiety and depression and fog rolls in. I would liken it to uh, the start of every Leaf season these days seems like it's like tonight is like a first date mm. uh, that you're really anticipating mm-hmm. and you're building yourself up for. But you kind of feel like you got a zit developing. <laughs> and you're coming out of an abusive relationship. <laughs> that seems to be the start of every Leaf season. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and this one, no different. Uh, a bit of a different team. Uh, when you look at, uh, from last year to this year, some of the names gone, uh, Michael Bunting, Alex Kerfoot, Pierre Engvall, Jake Muzzin, Justin Hall, who, you know, Leaf fans, some will celebrate. They love to beat up on him as mm. he, if he was one of the, uh, the cruxes on defense before, uh, Sandine is gone as well. In come Bertuzzi, Matthew Nye's first full season. New guys like Minton and Gregor. You've got Ryan Reeves for his toughness. Jake McCabe came over last year, but you've got John Klingberg now who might run your power play for you. There's there's optimism mm. to be had in Leafland, but you also know what's happened the last several years. Yeah, and analytics show that this team should be. Uh, Stanley Cup bound or playoff contenders for sure. Right now, the Leafs, uh, when you look at uh, like sports books, they're favorites. Mm. Favorites wow. to win the Stanley Cup in some books, if not top three in all of them. And that hasn't happened in decades. In well, decades. and I don't know if Leaf fans want that kind of pressure. Mm. You know, of course, there's dreams and people wearing jerseys today and planning parade routes. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Much like the Blue Jays, let's not spray the champagne yet. Right. Uh, and even if they win tonight, don't spray the champagne either. There's always a cautious optimism for Leaf fans. And, you know, uh, putting all of that weight on uh, on the shoulders of somebody like Austin Matthews, maybe he, he, he likes that. Maybe he, he can play up to that level. But it always seems, and it's been a curse for the Toronto Maple Leafs, that whenever the spotlight is on one guy, as it is with him, uh, it, it, it never works out so well. Now, and look, you, you look at the past at, you know, the Sundines and the Gilmores and, and way before them, the Daryl Sittlers. These were the guys, the, the, the Clarks, the, the guys that were going to carry them to the promised land. But you, it's never just one guy. And certainly in playoffs, it's, it's not even usually that main guy. That main guy gets them there. And then it's those second line, third line guys. But normally Stanley Cup contenders have two. They've got a, you know, a, uh, a Crosby and a Malkin, or they've got a, 
Caves and Kane, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. We, we have that now. That's oh. the other great thing. We've got that and then some. Okay, maybe four, yeah. right? When you consider Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares. Uh, uh, listen, I, th- I think part of the reason for the optimism for Leafs fans right now is that Austin Matthews, as good he's, as he's been, and uh, we're talking about a guy now who is, uh, you know, he's at 299 career goals. He'd be the 10th fastest to score 300 career goals. Up with the likes of, uh, like, just behind Maurice Richard, the Rocket, wow. when it comes to that. And the other names involved in there are all the greats of the game. So he's right up there uh, with them. But there's always been this mystique for Toronto fans that he doesn't really care if he wins here. Mm-hmm. That he's always wanted to go home to Phoenix and, and, and play for Arizona. That's gone now. He signed an extension over the summer, right. which was, uh, for some league fans, unexpected. Another four years doesn't kick in for two years. So he, he's here for the foreseeable future and the most productive years of his career. So the sky's the limit, and it seems like he's committed to winning as a Toronto Maple Leaf, which has to have Leaf fans excited. I think our pimple just grew even more. <laughs> it's a massive white head now. Michael Jordan now weighing in at 2,749 pounds. What? Michael Jordan. Not the basketball player, but rather a a pumpkin named Michael Jordan. (laughs) Like, he's a big guy. No, he's retired, but he's really let himself go. Right. Uh, No, the World Championship pumpkin way-off happened on uh, Monday, and uh, a guy who uh, is a professional pumpkin grower, a farmer of sorts, I guess, grew this pumpkin in 2023, and since Jordan wore 23, he's named this pumpkin Michael Jordan because he believes it'll be the greatest pumpkin of all time. How much that weigh? It's 2,749 pounds, about uh, 1,200 kilograms. I, you know, I hate pumpkin. Mm-hmm. And just the thought of this conversation has got me getting that, uh, mm-hmm. that syllabic kind of, I want to puke. And it's, it's because I'm wondering when they weigh these things, mm-hmm. does like someone have to dig through all of that <laughs> innard to make sure like there's no weights or, uh, illegal, uh, weighing substances? Added to uh, to to make that like someone's gonna have to to scoop. Oh God, yeah, I don't even know. think about it. I you know what I wish I wish we could have sent you down as a uh, a live reporter. Oh, I to, wouldn't last a second. To I'd do be blowing a, chunks all over that competition. Deep dive investigation. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> At two thousand seven hundred and forty nine pounds, this is as heavy as a walrus. This pumpkin is as heavy as a hippopotamus. It would be a Mazda Miata with two actual Michael Jordans in it. <laughs> he couldn't fit in a Miata. <laughs> no, no. And the guy won some dough, too. He gets nine bucks a pound. So like $25,000. Really? Yeah, although he only netted like 10 grand because it cost him 15 grand to grow this thing. Then it he cost got that much to, to grow a pumpkin? I guess, well, on that size. That, uh, that explains the pricing. How did he get it to the event? They had to actually build a different scale. They had to upscale the scale to... Uh, to weigh it properly. Really? But he got an extra 30 grand for breaking the record because the previous pumpkin weighed in at 2,702 pounds. That was back in 2021. So he's, uh, he beat it by 40, 46 pounds, 47 pounds heavier. I don't know what you do with a pumpkin that, that big. Oh. 
<laughs> a lot of pie. It's really gross. It is. Oh, yes, that was also a record. It would be 687 pumpkin pies. Oh. <laughs> you ever, uh, you're ever driving home and all of a sudden you got the urge to pee and you're, you're holding on to it and you're holding on to it and then you get into your driveway or you're walking into your building and all of a sudden, it just feels like your bladder wants to explode. <laughs> like you've got to pee so bad. You're doing the little pee dance on the front step, fumbling with your keys. And you race inside and you sit down and you, wait, well, you know me, I sit down to pee. But you, you whip down your pants and you get that big pee shiver. And it's mm. just the greatest feeling. Well, there's a name for that. There's science behind that. It's called the latch key incontinence. And you've mentioned it before about the urge to go to the bathroom as soon as you get home. I read years ago that you're, it's, it's like your, your body relaxes, your bowel relaxes when you're, when you're close to your own throne. Mm-hmm. Like you finally can just say, yeah, I'm home. Yeah. yeah. Well, basically what they say is that your brain, your brain and your bladder, they're constantly communicating to prevent you from peeing yourself. So that's good. Okay, yes. So this body's pretty cool. A that's, lot going uh, on in there. You want to keep that line of communication open. We treat it like a big piece of crap, but there's a lot going on <laughs> head to toe. Um, so uh, your brain will know when there's a bathroom nearby. So as soon as you get near your own home bathroom, those muscles start contracting. So it gets harder to hold in your pee, and your urge to pee skyrockets. And if it's happened to you once, it's more likely to happen again and again because the brain learns this pattern along with the bladder. Oh. Yeah. I just find, I, I, I agree more with you that there is that relaxation. Like I find when I go away on vacation, I, I, it's always a bit of a struggle in a strange bathroom. Hmm. Doing all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> Doing everything one would imagine in a bathroom seems to be a struggle. Uh, but as soon as I get home, it's uh, it's a party. Right. My bathroom turns into a Petro-Canada gas station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's obvious not everyone has that problem. Because you go into a public bathroom, you realize, no, some, some people are very comfortable making a mess of this. Well, this is interesting for Seinfeld fans. And I know this kind of is at, uh, an interesting time that this is uh, news is breaking because... The Frasier reboot is getting a, a lot of promo right. right now, and I guess that's supposed to fire up at the end of the month. And there are many who are saying it's really well done and good. I've watched the trailer for it. still has that damn laugh track in it, and I don't know. You know, so few shows use it anymore. It's, right. it's very rare, and it, it, it sticks out now as being very dated when you do hear it like i'm still uh watching i'm actually into like season 11 of cheers and the laugh track was there uh and you just really notice it because with really well written uh sitcoms now it's it's just not needed and i, and I think i read somewhere that um one of the reasons why the laugh track got taken away is, is because in a 22 minute uh sitcom because you got to leave the uh eight minutes or so for commercials the laugh track was taking uh, away more joke time. Right, yeah. I guess in the grand scheme of things, a few seconds here and there, but it adds up. You know, it adds up. Yeah. So anyhow, with, with Frasier and the reboot, uh, happening very soon, uh, Seinfeld was doing a gig in Boston. And I guess at the end of his shows, he likes to do these Q and A's. He lets the audience ask him questions. Okay. And I think I've seen him do that when I, when I saw him perform. And, uh, somebody asked him, was he happy with the way Seinfeld ended? 
And he said, well, I have a little secret for you about that ending. Something's going to happen that has to do with that ending. Hasn't happened yet. Larry David and I have been thinking about it. So you'll see. We'll all see. Hmm. So now you, being a huge Seinfeld fan, yes. do you cringe at this idea or do you like this idea? Uh, I mean, obviously, I, 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 I would love to see them do something, but... Did you hate the end? Uh, it seemed, it, I, I liked the trial yeah. part of it, right? How the, you know, they brought everyone back and, and they, they brought some characters in that you hadn't seen in quite some time. I thought that was, was very well done. The actual final of just, all right, you know, it was, it just, it seemed very anticlimactic. Yeah. It's very, very rare, especially for a show like Seinfeld and the heights that it went to. And the success it had, it's, 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 I, I'm actually surprised Jerry would even try because he was the one who, when NBC rolled up to his door at the end of season nine or as they were making their way into season nine and the head honcho of NBC at the time basically went to Jerry's place and signed a check and left the amount open and said, you write in there whatever you want. Yeah. And he still said no to that. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I can understand. He was burned on it. He didn't want to do it mm-hmm. again anymore and, and, and it felt it run its course. Uh, you know, now you see the success of other shows. I would love to see them do like a five or six episode mm. um, special. Not, not just a movie, not just a one-off. Like sign on for one more season, mm. um, and uh, and even if it's just five or six episodes, you're going to stream and make a boatload on. Not that he needs it, but he also doesn't need to do stand up anymore. He still no. does that. It, no. It's still the passion that's in him. He has so much money that at one point it is said he bought a condo, a condo building, the whole building in Manhattan, like a low rise, nothing crazy, but still the whole damn building. Just to park all his Porsches. Right. Yes. Like, a lot of cars. That's insane. And, and I'd be interested, too, because I know that there was some uh, ugliness between the cast members and Jerry and Larry at the end, especially when the DVD started getting sold. Yes. And Larry and Jerry were getting all the cash because they owned the rights. They were the producers. And there was a and I understand. I totally would see where Jason Alexander and. Julie Louise Dreyfus and certainly Michael Richards at right. this point would be, uh, hey, uh, where's our piece of the pie? Yeah. And I, I guess they sorted it out at some point, but I think they only got like one or two percent or something. Still, one or two percent of that bubble yes. is going to be still a big pot of pie. Yeah, but it's the way contracts go, right? Yeah. And, and, and not everyone seems to understand this. Too. Like, you can't just rewrite them right. no, <laughs> all, I know. all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we've seen quite often in union mentality. I don't like it, so we're not doing this anymore. Right. Um, it doesn't always work like that. And sometimes when you get into a show in Hollywood or get in any kind of acting gig, mm. uh, it's just oh, I'm so happy to get something. You don't think ahead. It's the okay. Is this going to be a massive success? Mm-hmm. And what's my piece? in the future of this going to be. Well, and the difference between Seinfeld and other shows like Friends, and maybe this is part of what upset the cast members, was it was probably around the time that the cast of Friends all agreed, you know, all for one and one for all. Right. And they all said, we either all get a million bucks each per episode or whatever the hell it yeah. was, uh, or we're not doing it. And difference being, though, Joey wasn't right in the show. No, and he didn't own a piece of it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> they were all just actors. Yeah, they got it. handed a script 
Right. And yeah, and Jerry and Larry were there writing it and producing it. And sure, they put a lot more work into it than the, the rest of them ever did. But we shall see. I, uh, I, I have sat through Seinfeld again. We did, uh, uh, probably a couple of years ago, maybe during COVID, we watched it again. And, uh, yeah, some great moments. The thing with that show is some unbelievably funny moments and, and, and moments you'll never forget. But of a lot of it, eh. Oh, really? Yeah. If you watched it again, like yeah. you, those, you know, those moments, they're real and spectacular. The yeah. dance, yeah. the masturbation episode, like there's, there's real. I'm continually amazed when I go back and watch, and I do, I'll flip through and see an episode every now and then. Mm. I haven't gone back and watched the whole thing front to back. But when I go back and I flip through an episode, I, I, I forget how many great moments happen within one episode? Mm. Like how they're all tied together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's and it's true of of all sitcoms. Look, I like I said, I'm sitting through season eleven of Cheers right now, and I've I've watched the whole thing, and it was before Seinfeld the biggest thing. I right. mean, this was a show that wrapped up on the in Toronto on the big screen at the then Sky Dome, and yeah. the place sold out. It's well, insane. I think it was a I think you had to make a donation. Maria and I went. It was a food donation, you know, food bank, and and you and the place was packed. So we were just different back then, though, because I just watched a clip uh, the other day of uh, the world's fastest man race. Remember mm. Ben Johnson? Yes, uh, yes. And, and uh, I'm sorry, no, it was Donovan uh, Donovan Bailey and Michael Johnson, right? Uh, from cities who who like raced a 150 meter race that sold out the Sky Dome. Yeah. To watch like, all the hype of what was really about 20 seconds. It's crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, holy crap. We just get caught up in things. <laughs> we went to a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Now it's like, oh, do I want to see Springsteen for four and a half hours? Well, I'd have to drive into the city. Exactly. Parking's going to be expensive. Yeah. No, we are totally spoiled right now. Anyhow, who knows? You might get yourself a, an episode of Seinfeld, a season of Seinfeld, a, a movie Seinfeld. I think it's probably always eaten at him a little bit about how that wrapped up. Right. You know? and I think he All even, the complaints about it. Yeah. yeah. Even early on, I mean, he wouldn't even talk about it. Now he does comment. Larry David has spoken his mind on it. And, but anyhow, you shall see. If you're a fan, you might get a little more Seinfeld. Michael Richards is somewhere just biting at the bit. Theodore Reader, Teddy Reader, the godfather of the grill, joins us now for Wild Fork and Whitby. How are we, Teddy? Ah, not too shabby, boys. Not too shabby. You are in your car already, up and at them, as you always are, heading to the joint. Another busy week, I would uh, I would assume. Uh, Thanksgiving has come and gone, Ted, and, of course, uh, many, many of us did turkey. But I don't think we spoke about this in some time. I noticed at uh, my local grocery store a lot of prime rib on sale. So I right. guess over Thanksgiving, people either go turkey or prime rib. And that's also something a lot of people do over Christmas as well. It's a very, very beautiful piece of meat. Uh, if somebody uh, wants to do prime rib on their grill instead of in their oven, what's some tricks to making it turn out great? Oh, you're asking a tough question this morning. I gotta, I gotta dig into the back archives of the brain to All pull right. this one out. Okay, so you, um, you think about that for a second. While you're thinking about it, I want to share this with you. Last, okay. n- last night, I made a casserole, and in that casserole included leeks, spinach, and Brussels sprouts. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ironically, I don't, know how can, I don't know how I can throw up at this point. <laughs> I'm I don't even have a bag. <laughs> I knew it's horrible. Front. There is nothing you could do to make that casserole taste good. <laughs> Those crappy little, crappy little green golf balls from hell. You know, I, I, it, it's hard for me to contain <laughs> the swear words that want to come out. I know. I know. About that crappy little ball. And as I was, oh. as I was making it, I thought about you. And what did, what made it so I was able to choke it down a little bit was I coated it in uh, panko breadcrumbs, Parmesan, goat cheese. I made like a big sauce. So you kind of drown the Brussels sprout and all of that. Wow. Yeah, yeah you drown the Brussels sprout in some stinky cheese. <laughs> waste of cheese, waste of breadcrumbs, waste of batter. And, well, the Brussels sprouts, you should take them to the golf course, tee them up, and whack them the blah, blah, blah out there. I know. I know your <laughs> hatred of them, and I couldn't wait to share that now with you. Now we got uh, Teddy's heart rate up. Let's go back to the prime rib, yeah. which I had last night. It was fantastic. Did you, did you have prime rib? Well, how did you cook it? Did you cook it on the grill? No, we do it in the oven. We've got a, uh, Adrian's got a, a, a fail-proof method, method where you put it, uh, the oven to 500 degrees and you throw the prime rib in there and you leave it in for, it's like basically 15 minutes of bone. It's per, goes per kilogram. But then you, you, Put it at 500, roast it at 500 for that time, and then shut it off and don't open the oven door for like two hours. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's do it on the grill, Teddy. What can we do to do prime rib outside? Well, well, I would would say, you know, if you're looking at a prime rib, it's first off, you probably want to find something that's a minimum of three bones. And and, because that's easy and manageable, and it's a nice piece of meat that'll feed uh, four to six really well. And, and serve it up. Pellet smoker in your backyard. And I would tell you, I would stick that prime rib in your pellet smoker. And you could give it a heavy smoke right at the beginning for about 30 to 40 minutes. And then crank it up to around 275 degrees so you get a nice coating and crispiness on the, on the outside. You can do it super low and slow. And give it the nice long, long smoke and bring it up to an internal temperature of uh, 130 degrees will be a, just a beautiful medium. And then cut between each bone, fire up your grill, get it super, super hot, season it up, and then grill that prime rib. Just sear it for a few seconds per oh. side. And that's, that's it. You know, you probably even want to take it to an internal of about 120 so it's a little on that rare side. So then you give it a quick sear. And that's, that, that, that'll make a pretty muddy tasty piece. All right. And, of course, if you don't have a smoker and you're just up using the straight-up grill, is it, uh, again, is it maybe indirect heat and then do that sear at the end? I, I would dig down underneath that grill, open the doors, which you never open, and look for that rotisserie rod. And you pull that rotisserie rod out. And you give it a go on a prime rib and let it spin. Okay. And spin it to an internal of about 120 degrees. And then pull it off and just give it a light uh, tenting and let it rest. And it'll come up to a nice carvable spot. I was going to say, the uh, I've used the rotisserie on, on roasts before, but never one with the bone in like that. I figured it would be just too heavy. Mm. And it would, it would kind of screw up the rotation. Well, a lot of the uh, rotisserie units that come with your grill will come with a counterweight. 
Okay. And so it hangs off the side, and you can address, uh, adjust the, the weight to where it needs to be so that you get an even spin all the way through. Right. All right. That's where, that's where here's a huge tip for you. Read the damn manual. <laughs> oh, that thing. Nah. <laughs> I used this to start the fire. Google it. <laughs> My God, you guys, I got so much to teach you, and there's not enough time left in my life. I could go to Google, because at least Google doesn't yell at me all the time. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, Teddy. If there's an app for that. <laughs> if people want to talk grilling, prime rib, or Brussels sprouts casserole, how do they get a hold of you, pal? Ah, uh, you're going to find me in the social media world, at Ted Grills. Rock Mornings with, with Craig, Craig Venn and Lucky. 94.9 The Rock.